everyone. <laughs> this is a great soca song. This is a classic song. So old school, but I love it. Five cent, ten cent dollar. <laughs> Hi everyone. I'm Dr. Trisha Ramprasad, the core behavioral therapist, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast and channel. Today we have a treat, and I'm very, very proud to present this woman. Um, her name is Judge Avion Benjamin, and she was just appointed New Jersey's, one of New Jersey's superior court judges by Governor Murphy himself. So welcome, Judge. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm, so, I'm excited to have you here. I mean, this is quite the accomplishment to especially it's women's history month right our right. women's month international women's month and i'm wearing my women 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 i love shirt. it <laughs> i love it <laughs> i like your uh, your neck piece too thank Very you nice. beautiful um so we're gonna start off with some questions because um i am very proud of you being a caribbean woman and now a caribbean american woman getting to where you're at um and especially you're a trinidadian woman and I wanted to know, I wanted you to uh, let us know, what was it like, well, where are you from? Um, and what was it like growing up there? So I was born in Diego Martin, Trinidad, originally from Diego Martin. I went to school there the first 10 years of my life. I have an older brother raised by a single mother. And, you know, at that time, I thought life was great. I didn't have a worry in the world, you know, played, went to school, did what I needed to do, came home, played with my friends, you know, ran in the street barefoot, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> just living life. But all along, my mother was struggling and she wanted more for us, for her children, and decided that she was going to come to America. And I tell everybody, my mother left America when I was 10, my brother was... 15 with our dog we had a dog pebbles may she rest in peace and got on a plane and came to america with with us and her dog in tow just looking for a better life oh that's amazing that's so awesome that's a lot of people have done exactly what you've done and your family has done and your mother raised you all and when you when you came to america where did you um end up being we ultimately ended up in New York. When we first came, um, I was in Florida for a little bit because my mom and a friend who had two girls around the same age as my brother and I, they came together and originally went to Florida. But living in Florida, it was difficult without having transport, getting to and from the job that my mom was able to secure. So we had a family member in New York that told her, well, come to New York, you know, you can stay with us and give it a try. We came to New York. So I grew up in Mount Vernon, New York, went to school in the Bronx, went to college, Binghamton, upstate New York. And so the latter part of my years was spent in New York. Awesome, awesome. What were your fondest memories um, growing up in Mount Vernon and the Bronx and going to school in the Bronx in New York, what were your fondest memories there? I, I guess, you know, being from Mount Vernon, the Bronx or whatever, you know, public transportation, I would have to take a bus to the number five train. <laughs> um, yeah. take, taking a train to school and just, just still being able to be a kid, right? So I went to high school. 
I went to St. Catherine's Academy in the Bronx on Pelham Parkway. And that's where I met some of my you know, closest friends that I'm still friends with today. But just being a child and growing up and you know, experiencing different things, but that little bit of independence that I felt I had being able to take the train and go to school on my own is some of the things that I remember. And, you know, Mount, Mount Vernon has its own history. You know, my brother went to school with, the, with Heavy D and Puffy and everything like that. Yeah, because my brother's in there thinking. But, you know, at the time, it wasn't, you know, the Puffy and Heavy D. Right. They turned out to be. But, you know, Mount, Mount Vernon has had some really, really good gems that came out of Mount Vernon. So Yes. And especially <laughs> during that time, too. Wow. That's, that's history right there. That's hip hop history. <laughs> Let's go. That's awesome. Okay, Judge Avian, I see. <laughs> That's so phenomenal. So you grew up in the Bronx and you went to Catholic school. I did. You did. Um, I went to Catholic school too, so I have that in common with you. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. Um, what was your educational path from there on? Um, so graduated high school in 1994. 1994. I first went to college, the University of Maryland at College Park. I got a scholarship to go the first year because they had started a new program that I had applied for and got a full ride to go there my freshman year. So, you know, packed up, went to Maryland, loved it. But at the end of that first year, they decided they wasn't going to continue with this special program that I was in. And I had to start paying the regular tuition, which I could not afford. My mother couldn't afford. But you have to find another school. We we can't do this. So I transferred. I started to look for schools in New York because by then I started to hear that if you go to school in New York, you can get like Pell Grants and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I applied to Binghamton, upstate New York, Binghamton University. I got in and I didn't see the campus until school started and I went in as a transfer student. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So I graduated from Binghamton in 1998, and then I went to George Washington University in D.C. for my law degree. That's so awesome. Um, your, your bachelor's, what was your bachelor's in? This is in case if anyone wants to go to law school, and you know, what, what path do you think that they I, I studied political science um, okay. only because I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer, and for the most part, you know, that's kind of the major that they tell you you should have. Yeah. But I've come to learn that honestly, it doesn't matter what you major in. <laughs> if you want to go to law school, I don't think it really impacts your ability to get into law school as well as your ability to be a good lawyer. But I majored in political science. Excellent. That's so awesome. And then you were off to Washington, D.C., to George Washington University, which is also a phenomenal school. It is, yes. What was your experience like there? I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Just being in D.C., I lived in Foggy Bottom. (laughs) So I was able to, you know, walk to classes. But D.C., just overall, D.C. was a nice experience. And you know, looking back, if I could do it over again, I probably would have stayed in D.C. after I graduated from law school, um, just to still be able to have that experience and live in that area. But I was homesick. And once I graduated from law school, I was like, I'm coming back to New, to New York. I don't want to be down here. <laughs> yes, it's very different going to school out of state when you're a New Yorker and, yeah. you know, leaving it all behind. It's 
yeah, there is no place like New York for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, for sure. Um, you know, during your experience going to school, like in Catholic school and what have you, getting your bachelor's and your and your um, your doc your juris doctorate, being an attorney, did you experience any racism? So when we first came to America, coming to America, <laughs> I start I the class that I went in, I got in. I think it may have been fifth grade again, elementary school. Mm -hmm. you know, I was I was teased because I had an accent when you know we first came here. So I remember being teased for how I would pronounce certain words. You know, one that always stayed yeah. out in my mind is that I would always for saying the number three, I used to say tree. Right. Um, you know, and they would tease me about that. So in the beginning, those things didn't necessarily bother me, and I don't think it was racism, but there was a she's different. You know, she talks different, she's not from here, so I had to get used to that. And sadly, a part of getting used to that was I didn't want to talk Trini anymore, right? I wanted to sound American. So I would practice more to sound how American sounded so that I wouldn't stand out. Mm. High school, by the time I got to high school, I, I had a good self-confidence in myself that I wouldn't say I necessarily experienced any type of racism in high school. And my high school was a mixed high school. You know, we had black, white, Latino. So it was a pretty mixed school. And once I got to college, I think is where I noticed it was less people that looked like me as opposed to more. And definitely once I was in law school, you know, I could count on one hand how many people looked like me in my law school classes. Right, so you were the, you were the minority in your in your law school. Wow, but um, but you mentioned that you made friends. I did, and one of my um, closest friends, we went to Binghamton together, and we ended up going to law school together. So oh, I credit a lot of finishing law school to her that we had each other, because there were many a days mm, <laughs> going back home. I don't want to do this, you know. But we kind of pushed through it together because we had each other. But it. it I think it's hard and, you know, it still happens today when you feel like you don't belong. And right. that was a, an experience that sadly I had to get used to. And even when I graduated law school and started my legal career, I would walk into a courtroom and be the only black woman in the courtroom. Wow. You know, so it, and, it, and it, it still happens today. Well, now you're a judge. So right. <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget that. But no, you 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 actually you hit the nail on the head. If you're walking into the courtroom and you're the only black woman there, um, let alone a Trinidadian woman, American woman there too. I mean, it's it's got to feel some kind of way, you know. Um, it, it it does, and you know, I I would be mistaken many a times, whether it was in court or going to depositions or other court proceedings. Either I was the court reporter or I was the client. Um, never when I walked into the room was the thought by other people that would see me that, well, she's the lawyer. She's the one that's been representing her clients. It's always, oh, okay, I didn't know you were the lawyer. Okay, you may not have known I was the lawyer, but why you have to assume that I was the court reporter or the client, you know? Right. And it's it's disheartening. And sometimes I feel people it's it's a 
it's unconscious. You know, they don't realize that they're doing it. Right. That just goes to what their thinking is and the fact that there's so few of us in the field that, well, she can't be a lawyer, right? <laughs> well, I mean, th this is why I wanted to have you on because it's just so inspiring that someone who came from literally an island, a dot on the map, you know, <laughs> You know, literally a dot, Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad is literally are, right at the tip of Venezuela. Yeah, yes. that's how I describe it to people. Where they're like, "Where are you? Where are your family from?" You know, they're from Trinidad. It's off the coast of Venezuela. Mm -hmm. The dot on the map. Just go look. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, but for you to come from such humble beginnings, like walking in the walking in the barefoot and all that other stuff, you know. Um, and bringing pebbles and your whole family and your mom bringing you. That's just, I'm a dog lover too. So. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, how, um, so you became appointed judge, right? Um, and thank you for sharing that, by the way, that was pretty vulnerable of you to share what it was like to be a black woman in the courtroom. Um, can you talk about your process, about how you became judge, how you were appointed as a judge? Um, a New Jersey Superior Court judge. Sure. Exactly. So in New Jersey, you know, states vary. Like in New York, people run to become judges in certain districts. But in New Jersey, you get nominated by the governor and you have to be confirmed by the Senate. Um, so he can nominate you, but if you're not confirmed by the Senate, you're not going to become a judge. So I was nominated by Governor Murphy. Um, twice actually it was september of 2019 okay. i believe i got my first nomination but you know things take time and what happened is the session the senate session ended before they brought me on a calendar and when that happens all the nominations basically come off the table and they have to happen again so then governor murphy um, nominated me again a second time february 2020 and that went before the Senate last October, and uh, they voted to confirm me. It was a unanimous vote for them to confirm me. But the process itself uh, takes time because yeah. there are several steps. Where you live, depending on the county where you live in, you have to have the consent of all the senators in your county. They have to give the green light. Okay, yes, we want this person as well to be a judge. Once they do that, then you meet with different um, like bar associations because they're involved as well to be able to see is this a person that you know is going to be fair. So they have to give kind of a thumbs up as well until you reach that final step. So it it was definitely a journey, and e even before the nomination itself, it was steps. You know, so I t I tell people this. Um, you know, when it happened, it's not something that happened overnight. It definitely took some time. And there were many times where I would think, hmm, I don't know if this is going to happen, you know, because it was one of those, you made two steps forward and then something happened and not necessarily personal to me, but just, you know, politics in general and how things work that you're not sure what the next step is going to be. But right. the same um, girlfriend that went to law school with me, you know, while I would talk to her about the process, she always used to say to me when things would happen, she was like, you're, it's delayed, but you're not denied. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I love that. It's delayed, but it's not yeah. denied. It's yeah. going to happen. Oh, that's going to be my new mantra. <laughs> I love it. 
And that's what she used to tell me. And so, you know, and her, her words came to fruition. It, it, it was delayed. And, you know, over the course of this journey, I definitely increased in my faith. And it's all in God's timing. You know, we, we have plans for ourselves, but he has plans too. And nothing is going to happen until he's ready for it to happen. And exactly. I'm so grateful that it happened when it did, because I feel like my story is in the middle of a pandemic where, you know, we were on lockdown and people were losing their lives and loved ones and stuff like that, that there were still some good things happening and God was still in the blessing business. And he truly, truly blessed me last year. I'm so happy for you. I mean, it's all in God's timing. Like you said, he orders our steps, right? Sometimes we want things now and then, He's like, no, I got it for you. Right, you know, right. Just wait, be patient. Yep. <laughs> and in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, that's like a miracle. I mean, <laughs> a promotion, getting a job, keeping a job, you know, during the pandemic, that's it's pretty. Sick. Yeah, no, it was. It really, really was. And I, I'm glad, you know, with you reaching out to me through your sister and everything that is something yeah. that I can share with people. And, you know, from when we spoke first spoke, I told you, I'm proud of where I'm from. And anytime yeah. that I can put Trinidad and Tobago on the map for people to see what great things are coming out of Trinidad and Tobago, I'm all for it. I'm 100%, 100%. My sister Rhea did um, tell me about you and she was just ex as excited and she reached out to you. So shout out to my sister Rhea. Always Thank you, Rhea. <laughs> <laughs> She'll love that. She'll love that you said. <laughs> um, you know, what kept you, um, it was a waiting process for you, but I can only imagine, um, like, what do you, what did you do to unwind? I hear that you had your faith, you had your friends. Um, what did you do to help um, chill, to help you, you know, just um, to be patient? And Because it can take a to toll on you emotionally. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it can break you many a times because you, you know what you want. You know you're qualified for certain things. And the fact that what is to come to you really lies in the hands of other people is, is sometimes a difficult pill to swallow. But my, my faith definitely had a lot to do with it. I spent a lot of time journaling. I love to write. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember if I had told you when we were talking with this whole process, there was a journal entry that I had in my journal from back in, I think it may have been like 2016, just talking about, you know, what my future is going to hold. And I wrote in my journal that I'm claiming I'm going to be on the bench by the time I'm 44 years old. And it happened while I was still 44 years old, right? And that, the fact that I had wrote that almost four years ago and was able to go back and read it and now right. I was living it, right? Um, you know, it kind of gave me chills, but that, I, that I, definitely... It out of my mouth. <laughs> it just gave me chills. I was like, what? <laughs> so you wrote it down. Let's rewind. You wrote it down in your journal that I'm going to be on the bench. Basically, you're going to be a judge. And it's going to happen. And you put the, the age. I said by the time I'm 44 years old, 2016. That was one of my journal entries in 2016. And it happened. And it happened. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say. Oh, my goodness. Talk about, talk about manifestation. Talk yeah. about God. You know, that's just pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of practice some of that. Uh, 
that kind of logic too. And um, I believe in the power of writing things down and believing in it, praying over it. That's just my belief. And um, it will come into fruition. Like you It said. will. It will. And one of the things too that I found throughout this whole process, because, you know, I, I grew up Catholic. I was raised in a Catholic church, you know, going to church every Sunday. I've always had my faith. But as I've gotten older, I, I searched more just to have a relationship with God and being able to listen to him, you know, and talk to him. But one of the things this journey has taught me is that you have to be specific about what you want in life. And I use this as that test, so to speak, because again, going back to me journaling and praying and talking, I was very specific about what I wanted. And it happened. And I know it happened because of God. That's so beautiful. That's so inspiring too. Um, you know, you came, that's so inspiring that you have this faith and this hope and this belief, you know, there's probably so many young girls out there, um, young brown and black girls, what have you out there, women of color who um, are, are going to admire your, your accomplishments and everything that you've been through. And also from single family households, um, can you speak to that um, about what it was like for you? Because look at your accomplishments, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like you said, I came from humble beginnings. Even when we came, you know, to New York, my, my mom was cleaning houses when we first got here before she got a job, found a job like in the hotel industry and then, you know, flourished from there. But I didn't have examples growing up of people um, like in the legal field or anything like that. But I had a mother that worked hard. Right. I wasn't afraid of hard work. And she instilled that in my brother and I that, listen, you have to work hard. And sadly, not only as immigrants, but as black immigrants, you right. have to work twice as hard in this country because people are gonna judge you or discriminate against you because of the color of your skin, but also because you're not from here. Right. And that was something that, you know, we knew growing up that we always had to do better than everybody else. And I think because I grew up with that work ethic, that continued right through school. And even once I started working in the legal field, I, I, I always wanted to be better than everybody else. And I never wanted anyone to ever test or be able to say she wasn't prepared or she didn't know what she was doing. And I think that also helped with the reputation that I built for myself here in New Jersey in the legal community, that I was a lawyer that was always prepared and gave it my all every time I walked into a courtroom or handled a case. But Trisha, that's my mother. I am my mother's child. <laughs> Beautiful. I tell her all the time, but for her setting that example, I, I don't know, you know, where I would be. And I have two children, but I have a daughter. She's 13. And I try to instill those things in her. My son as well. I tell them all the time, work hard. Don't complain because life could be so much worse. You know, there are children in this world that don't have two parents in the household or don't know what they're going to eat tonight. I said, and, you know, and I tell my children, you're blessed. You have both of your parents in the house. You want for nothing. You know, you probably have too much. But, right. you know, don't complain because life can be so much harder. And just work hard. If you work hard, 
and you keep the faith which I've instilled in my children, yes. nothing but good things are going to come to you. And I think that's what I would share for any of the young people listening or even older people that are still trying to figure out what to do with their life. Just, okay. just work hard and stay humble. You know, that's one of the biggest things for me right now in this position. And so many people have told me, you know, don't let this role define who you are or change who you are. I'm still Ariane Monique, Natasha Benjamin. Yes, they call me judge now, but the person I was before I got confirmed as a judge is the same person I am today, but I just hope to be better and do more in this role that I've been placed in, in terms of being an example to so many people. That's so inspiring. That's beautiful. My gosh. I mean, the strength and everything that, you know, what your how your mom prepared you and you're instilling all of these values into your kids that's just it's just awesome and what stood out to me too is when you put that robe on don't let it define you and how you work you work so hard you went above and beyond like over a hundred percent to stand out and building that reputation it's just those are some key things on how to be successful and in the fact and the fact that you're humble too it's just you know it's pretty awesome that, that's key, you know, humil humility is, is key because you, know, you never want people to ever feel that you feel that you're better than anybody else. And I, I don't think that about myself. Um, I'm proud of who I am and all the things that I've accomplished, but I don't think that I'm better than you or anybody else. I'm just grateful for what I have and what I'm doing and I wanna keep doing it and be really, really good at it. I want that to be my legacy. You know, I tell my children all the time, I'm not going to always be here. You know, we all have a date and time when it's our time to go. And I want whatever yeah. that comes that when people talk about me, it will be nothing but, you know, she, she did the damn thing. She was a good she mother. Did the she was a thing. good daughter. She was a good wife. She was a good judge. You know, yeah. that, that's what I want my legacy to be when I leave this I believe I believe it's gonna happen. I believe I mean, you're already you already doing it. I mean, during COVID too. I mean, so I mean, to have a family and you're working in COVID, right? Um, what? How do you like cook? Do you cook? Do. You do yeah. what? Do you, what do you cook for your family? If you, um, I, I know, I'm not trying to be gender based or anything. I ask the person. <laughs> I have a husband that cooks too. So That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. You know, my mom, you know, shout out to my mother. Everybody call her Miss Wendy. Nobody can cook like my mother. I'm not as good as her, but I try. But, you know, I do Same. have a So I'm big, you know, Sunday, Sunday lunch, as they would say back home, you know, is big in my house. I cook all the traditional stuff, macaroni pies, stewed chicken, kalaloo, you know, the things that I grew up eating. I still give that to my children. And, you know, some days you're going to get spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> 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 that's quick and easy. Um, yeah. But I cook, and I love to cook. And I think, you know, again, with my children, with my daughter, and even my son, you know, teaching them how to cook because I want both of them to be self-sufficient and be able to take care of themselves when they're on their own and not necessarily have to depend on somebody else. 
So it gives me the opportunity to teach them certain things. You know, last weekend, I think it was last weekend, you know, I made curry chicken, curry shrimp, and roti. I, yeah, I make everybody hungry with right? You know, roti is one of my favorite foods. I could eat roti yeah. all day, every day, but it takes so much work to make it. Oh, so yeah. I don't cook it too often. But, you know, every once in a while, I make the sacrifice. So I think I made that last Sunday. I was tired of, you know, the normal Sunday food. So yeah. I made that last Sunday. But I cook. And have no problems doing it. I like cooking. So cool. That's so cool. I love roti. I love <laughs> roti. My mom's a mean cook. Yo, she can cook. Like that woman can cook. Yeah. Um, they have they say in Trini, like um, they have the hand to cook. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, when we talked, you were you told me you are a U.S. citizen, so you are Trinidadian American. You are a Caribbean American. Do you remember? Um, can you tell us about the day that you became a U.S. citizen? And sure, experience. So, <laughs> so funny. I got my citizenship the same year that I graduated from law school, which is crazy. Wow. Um, but I had filled out, you know, all my papers and stuff for my citizenship in Washington, D.C., did the interview in Washington, D.C., and then it was shortly after I graduated, I got sworn in in the city, in New York City. I remember going to the courthouse. There was a a good bit of people that went in, and, you know, we took the oath and everything like that, and I remember thinking, oh, wow, I'm now a citizen of the United States. You're American. Um, for so long, so it, it it was good. It was it was good. But you know, even though I am a U.S. citizen and I'm happy to be a U.S. citizen, you know, I have two children that were born here that are American. Um, I'm, I will always be Trinity to the bone. Trinity <laughs> to the bone. Trinity to the bone. That's the truth. That's the truth. You can take the girl out of Trinidad, but you can't take the Trini out of the girl. That's for exactly, sure. Exactly. <laughs> that's so cool um, and true. Wow, that's just, it's awesome. Um, I'm just so inspired by you. Everything about you is just like making me feel hopeful. You know, um, you got appointed during a pandemic and during all these racial injustices where people were, some people were being awoken. And that's just so, so powerful. Um, What was it like for you to, what's it like for you to work as a judge during COVID and during this time? I know everything is virtual now, so I can only imagine what it's like to be a judge during this time. Yeah, it's it's different, that's for sure. Um, And it's a learning curve. I'm assigned to the family division. Okay county where I work and my entire legal career was all civil so I don't have any experience in family law so it's a learning curve for me which I'm happy about because I like learning new things yeah learning but you add that to the fact that everything is virtual it's it's an experience and it definitely takes um a lot of patience (laughs) you know I most days I'm saying your microphone is muted. I can't hear you. I think your I think your picture is frozen. Are you there? You know, that's got to be the quote for during twenty twenty one. You're on mute. Yeah. So it's challenging, but in every challenge, I think there's 
something to be learned from it and something good that's going to come out of it. And how I look at it is I'm learning to be a judge, a new judge through a pandemic where everything is virtual. It's not how things normally are, but it is still allowing me that opportunity to learn, I would say, at a slower pace versus if we were actually in court because even though we're open and we're taking cases, we're taking less cases because we're doing things virtually. What should last 10 minutes might last 45 minutes because of technical difficulties and things of that nature. So my cases are less now because we're doing it virtually. And I find that to be a blessing in disguise because once we do reopen and go back, I would have learned you know, everything that I needed to know and be more comfortable as a judge that now that people are coming into the courtroom, I, I'll be ready to go. That's how I look at it. So it is it challenging? Yes. But I think I, I'm going to come out on the winning side once we open back and go back to normal. And yeah. who knows what normal is going to look like. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> and what a learning experience you're having, like virtual. I mean, in a new position, nothing can prepare. Like you said, <laughs> <laughs> You're set, uh, pretty much. Your mother must be so proud of you. you what's your name, Mama Wendy? Mother Wendy. Miss Wendy. Mm-hmm. Wendy. Your mom. What's your, what was your mom's reaction when she found out about? She was, you know, when I first told her that it looks like this was going to happen, you know, she she was excited. But my mother is is a praying mother, and she said, you know, I'm just going to pray. And she's one of those don't count your eggs before it hatch. Um, type of person so you know she just kept it to herself until it finally happened and when it did like for my swearing in ceremony you know I couldn't have a big swearing in ceremony because of COVID so I was limited but you know my mother was there and my mother put my robe on after I took the oath oh my gosh I just remember you know right I'm about to cry. Oh my gosh, for real. So, you know, I'm crying. I'm crying, right? And she's telling me it's so funny because she says to me, stop crying. You're such a cry, cry baby. Mind you, she's crying. I'm trying to tell you not to cry. Oh my gosh. But I, and I told her, you know, when I gave my speech at my swearing in that, you know, but for her setting an example and all the hard work that she did, you know, I wanted her to know that this is this is more a reflection of her than really me and you know what I did because she set that bar, she set that standard. And I I was just and I didn't think I was gonna cry with you today, Trisha. <laughs> but I think, you know, I'm so grateful that she was still alive to see it. You know, my yeah. mom is 71 years old. I mean, she's healthy and everything like that, but again. You know, I know we're getting to that point where, you know, our parents are getting older and, you know, they're not going to be here forever. But I was just so glad that she was still alive and able to see it, to know that whenever she closes her eyes, she can rest well knowing that she did a great job raising her children. That's beautiful. That's, you know, our mothers, they grew up very humbly. You know, my, my, like my mom, she sold chicken in the market in Chaguana's Market. So when you know, I could totally relate to you because when I graduated, all the work in the red house in Trinidad. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they, you know, it didn't happen like that. I could totally like when I graduated. The same thing. I didn't have a big graduation or anything, but once I I did my um, 
my dissertation proposal and stuff and I got and I passed my mother cried too you know so it's just it's so um it's a human reaction but it speaks to how your mother raised you how my mom how our mothers raised us Mm -hmm. Um, like I said they're from a dot on the map that's where they're from (laughs) to make it in New York City and New Jersey too is quite the testament and accomplishment you know there's so much stuff going on, um, so much gender violence happening in Trinidad, right? With wow, yes. women and young girls, and, and that's a, a big passion of mine. Um, so for them and for me and for others to see you thrive like this and to be in such a position, it just really brings so much hope. It just brings that women are more than just an object or just something to, you know, to just toy around or to physically abuse or anything like you're you're showing that women are beautiful people who are intelligent who can make it and you're showing a a a new light like a different side for other young girls who will be inspired by this and want to be just like you i appreciate that and you know with you bringing out what's going on back home it, it 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 hurts me to see you know, the things that are happening to women back in Trinidad, you know, being a woman from Trinidad, knowing that I still have family in Trinidad, young cousins, that for what's happening right now, we could get a phone call that it's one of them, you know, and I often wonder what can I do, you know, being here, if anything, to help, you know, because sometimes you just feel so helpless and, you know, sometimes you feel guilty. And I'll, I'll share that. Sometimes I feel guilty. Like, I made it out. You know, I, I got the, the opportunity to be here. But, you know, so many of them don't. And not to say that you can't stay in Trinidad and be successful and have a great life in Trinidad. I'm not saying that. But, you know, it's hard. And I often think about it. You know, my mom and I have had this conversation. Where would I be today if we didn't come here? I often think about that. That's real. That's real. It's very real. And, um, you know, it, Trinidad is, is a beautiful country. It's just unfortunate what is happening there. We have great things like Carnival, like we missed it this year because of COVID and what have you. Um, but this is, I think, just you talking about it and me, you know, us bringing it out. Um, it, it, sheds, it, sure, it sheds awareness Right. You know, people need to know about what's happening in the Caribbean, especially in Trinidad. You know, so I appreciate you talking to me about that. Um, when this is all over, are you going to Carnival? My hotel is already booked for now. <laughs> Let's go. You already booked your hotel for Carnival. In Trinidad. I'm already booked at the Hyatt, so fingers crossed. Nice. 2022 will be good to us because yeah. I didn't go last year because of everything that was because last year they had they got to have it right before you know the shutdown. But I didn't plan to go last year because I knew everything may have happened with me and getting the judgeship. So I didn't want to risk not being here. Right. Because a part of the process is they don't really give you notice when you get that phone call that you have to go to training. So I didn't want to take that chance and be in Trinidad. So I didn't plan for last year. And then to know that it was canceled this year. So that makes two years in a row that I haven't been back home for Carnival. And I don't know if I'm going to survive if it's <laughs> three years. 
So fingers crossed that we'll be able to um, be yeah. into that next year for Carnival. That's yeah, my therapy. Like, after all of this, I'd like to do the same thing, actually. I, I think you deserve it. Yes, absolutely. We all deserve it. We all yeah, deserve it's, it. It's therapy. You know, somebody sent me something the other day. I don't know. If it, it looked like it was a show in another state. I'm not exactly sure. But the woman, she's American. And I guess she went to Trinidad for Carnival. It may have been last year for the first time. But just hearing her describe it, I was just so tickled by it because she, you know, was explaining to everybody, like, she had the best time, like the experience, yeah. the people, the food, everything. And when I tell people that, you know, it's just really hard to explain it. <laughs> and all I say is you have to experience it. And once you experience it, you will go back every year if you could afford it. <laughs> it's fun. And, and, to, and to play mass and wear the costumes and stuff. Yeah, it's therapy. And, and I, yeah, the same experience. I have friends and Americans who have gone down there and they love it. Mm -hmm. They absolutely love it. Um, but yeah. We definitely missed out on a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff this past yes. year. And, um, and you deserve to have fun. And after everything you've been through, you know, and your accomplishments, it's just, I'm just really, really so proud of you. And on behalf of the Caribbean, and we have of Trinidadians, <laughs> Trinity Americans like yourself, <laughs> we're so proud of you, Judge Avion. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Trisha. And I just want to say to you, you know, you know, life works in mysterious ways because, you know, but for this happening, I wouldn't have been able to meet you. And I'm glad that I did. And now I'm aware of you and your podcast that I can continue to follow you because what you're doing as well is just so awesome. And you should be commended for that, you know, continuing to put us on the map. But as well as providing that, you know, therapy in a sense of, you know, I, so I want to thank you for that. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think, I think we, pe people like us um, bringing awareness and um, helping heal, uh, heal the world one day at a time or, or touch people is very, very important. And um yeah we're just i'm really proud of you and thank you for that thank you <laughs> i'm glad we met i'm really glad we i met. am too well i really am um i want to thank you for being on my podcast and channel and um go kick butt <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> royal <laughs> That, that will be the plan that will be the plan thank you thank you so much for having me continue to do your stuff as well and this won't be the last I'll probably see you in, in effect or on the road or something. Definitely. <laughs> we'll get coffee soon or um, Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, this is Dr. Trisha Ramprasad, the core behavioral therapist. And we just met with um, one of New Jersey's superior court judges, um, Judge Avion Benjamin. So have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your day, everyone. Bye. Bye.